Dear listener, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listener, as someone who has been involved with interfaith work for over a decade, I've observed that a major third rail issue in interfaith engagement is the subject of Israel and Palestine. Although interfaith partners can come together to have open dialogue on nearly anything else, this remains a very divisive and difficult topic to have meaningful conversation about and even harder to create paths for collective action. Over the three years of this show, we have basically never talked about it. But given the events in Palestine and Israel during the last few weeks, I wanted to attempt to create space for this conversation. To that end, dear listener, I reached out to Mr. Faisal Saleh, director and founder of the Palestine Museum in Woodbridge, Connecticut, as well as Rabbi Michael Lerner, editor of Tikkun Magazine. As you can hear, this was a difficult and at times uncomfortable conversation. From the outset, I wanted to make sure that our dialogue didn't devolve into a debate, but preserved a tone of respect and listening to one another. Well, you can judge how well we kept to that goal. In the end, I do feel like I learned a lot, and that in and of itself definitely is worthwhile. Here's my conversation with Faisal Saleh and Rabbi Michael Lerner. Well, first of all, I I wanted to thank the both of you for joining me. I'm really honored to to have you know two community leaders uh, that that have dedicated so much of your time and your lives to being advocates for education and understanding. So thank you so much to the both of you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Faisal. Hello. How are you? Glad to meet you. So I I uh, I did want to also affirm that this show is is not uh, meant to be a debate, uh, but really a discussion. I know that that can be a concern, particularly around matters of Palestine or Israel. And you know, I I honestly I struggled a lot around how to even approach having this conversation um, because it is a a difficult subject to broach, um, but. I'm hopeful that we can have an honest dialogue and and just know that that each of us speaks to our own experience uh, and that alone and and not on behalf of any group or or population. So I appreciate I, both of you joining me in that spirit as well. Mr. Sully, would you please uh, begin by telling us a little bit about where you grew up and how you came to live in the United States? Sure. Um I come uh, from a Palestinian family who is uh, from a village called Selama, uh, just five kilometers east of Yaffa. Uh, in 1948, uh, they were they lost their home there, and they were refugees in the West Bank. Uh, I was born shortly after that, and I was the 11th child. Uh, to my parents, uh, and the last one, uh, mm. of course. <laughs> um, and uh, I grew up in the West Bank uh, until life was almost finished with high school. Uh, and then I came to the U.S. Uh, on a scholarship to do the last year of my senior year of high school at a Quaker school in Pennsylvania. 
Oh, wow. Well, the, the George School, it's in Bucks County near Philadelphia. And I um, studied there and then went on to uh, college as well. And after college, I remained in the U.S. I have had, at the time, I had a couple of brothers who were who were living in the U.S. already. Mm -hmm. And um, I was able to stay in the U.S. because of that. They were U.S. citizens. And I've been in the U.S. for over 50 years uh, now. And I, I've been working since I came out of college. Right, right. And And so how is it that you came to found an art museum were you involved in the arts in in your business or or did this come through a, a different trajectory uh on the contrary uh i really didn't have much to do with the arts the only arts i'm involved with is photography i'm a kind of a, a high-end amateur artist uh, as far <laughs> it's as an expensive hobby is concerned <laughs> it, it is it is and uh I have an expensive taste in equipment. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's an obsession, if you will. Uh, really, the idea behind the museum uh, came to me because there was a, a big vacuum when it came to Palestinian arts uh, in the U.S. in particular and in the West in general. Uh, the, the museum I created, uh, believe it or not, um, was the first Palestinian museum in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, yeah. So for many, many, many years, uh, we have been going to other people's museums. And I felt it was time for us to have our own museum. And uh, there were a lot of reasons to have a Palestinian museum. For one thing, it was difficult for Palestinians to exhibit uh, artwork or at least certain kind of artworks anywhere in the U.S. Uh, because some artwork that um, Israel doesn't like uh, becomes impossible to exhibit in the U.S. Um, uh, and uh, any, any place that would exhibit a Palestinian uh, exhibit uh, would come under a lot of pressure to and would be either canceled before it opens or it will be shut down short after it opens. So we needed a place yeah. where we can exhibit our, our, our art, no matter what kind of art it is, uh, without censorship uh, from, from uh, outside. So it sounds like, you know, this is an important uh, life's work that, that was a, really a passion that it sounds like is tied to um, creating, you know, space, uh, not just for an appreciation of the arts, but really, uh, uh, a space for, for community, you know, to take pride in itself and, mm -hmm. and, and the work that the community, Palestinian community is, yes. is creating. So, um, Rabbi Lerner, I, uh, you know, continuing that, that idea of, of community, a, a rabbi can lead a congregation, but also be a sort of itinerant spiritual leader and i was curious how you decided what path you would follow it when you decided to join the rabbinate um well i became a rabbi pretty late in life namely uh about 20 let's see was it um uh close to 25 years ago so i had <clears throat> That, so I had already had uh, 
a um, uh, a long career before that. But I actually started out as a teenager wanting to become a rabbi. Um, actually, partly as a rebellion against my parents, who were very assimilated Jews, and uh, um, their whole focus was on Zionism, and that was really the the essence of their Jewishness. Um, and um, but they were not real in, happy that I was going to become a rabbi. They thought that that was a um, a downwardly mobile um, direction to go for mm. people um, wanting to have a secure financial life. And as it has turned out, my life has been very financially insecure. But that in part. <laughs> <laughs> that in part because of the particular stances I take in regard to a lot of different issues, but in particular in relationship to Palestinians. Because when I did, um, before uh, becoming a rabbi, I had already started Tikkun magazine, spelled mm. T-I-K-K-U-N, Tikkun. And you can check it out at tikkun.org. Um, and Tikkun was a, a magazine um, and is is a um, now it's primarily on online at tikkun.org, but it is a voice for progressive Jews. It's also a, an interfaith magazine as well as a magazine that um, that welcomes secular humanists and not just religious people. Right. But that was the pro. But the magazine was started after a long um, time in which I was um, first a professor of philosophy at, uh, and uh, then after uh, at my one of my my second job as a philosopher, um, I helped organize a, a very uh, large anti-war demonstration that and got me indicted by the federal government. Mm. Um, and as one of uh, uh, a group called the Seattle Seven. And um, from there, um, I went for a short time into federal penitentiary, um, not for the what I was charged with, but for a contempt of court, which was actually true of all seven of us who were, um, and all of us went to, to prison for a while. But then out from there, I, I did lose my career in philosophy and had to start something else new. And I started in psychology and I got a second PhD to study. Um, and, uh, but there, my interest in becoming a, a psychologist was to try to understand why people were, particularly middle income, working class people were starting to move to the right politically when their interests economically were with the left. That led me to try to create Tikkun Magazine as another way to get this vision, this understanding communicated to people. So it was primarily to try to help people understand um, what was missing in the left. And what was missing in the left was both respect and not giving people caring and respect, but also what was missing was a, an understanding that people not only want material well-being, but they also want uh, to have a life of meaning and purpose that transcends the selfishness and materialism of the capitalist marketplace. And that was the one part of the message that um, it's been very hard for liberals and progressives to understand. So that's what we created Tikkun for. Having created it, um, uh, it was uh, it was at first a, a big 
uh, and very successful for a few, very few years until the Intifada started in uh, Palestine, uh, the first Intifada. And we then printed a, um, an article in Tikkun that um, was written by um, what was called the New Historians in, in Israel at the time. This is around um, uh, 1990, 1991, um, that, um, that had um, an account of the way that um, a section of those Palestinians who left their homes um, in, 19, uh, in 1948, uh, a section meaning at least several hundred thousand of them had been forced out by um, the Israeli military on the one hand or by the, um, by the terrorists, um, particularly Menachem Begin and, uh, and uh, Shamir, who intentionally tried to attack Palestinians to get them out of the land of uh, the land that of uh, of Israel, so that they um, so that there wouldn't so that there, it would be a Jewish state in terms of its population, and um, publishing that article written by um, one of the Israeli new historians, um, uh, and then subsequently following up with. Uh, um, strong critiques of Israel uh, led us to lose almost all of our um, financial support and a great deal of our general support from from uh, large sections of the Jewish world that at first had welcomed our existence. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and this morning we're talking with Rabbi Michael Lerner, editor of Tikkun Magazine, and Mr. Faisal Saleh, director and founder of the Palestine Museum in Woodbridge, Connecticut. Yeah, it's interesting to hear about the origins of Tikkun and the struggles as a, as a media outlet, um, because one of the things that I think over the last few weeks that I've um, observed, which is, you know, not news to you, the, the, either of you, I'm sure, um, but was, was definitely interesting to, to, uh, or shocking. It was shocking to, to reflect on was just how starkly language is different, um, when it comes to reporting on, on, um, the situation in in Israel and Palestine. Uh, it's such a, a a key issue to approaching the topic, and deciding whether to use terms like conflict or war or occupation or terrorism. They're all very loaded, and I acknowledge that you know even for myself, I feel a bit uncertain trying to find the appropriate terms to talk about these events um, that have claimed so many lives and homes and livelihoods. So. Uh, Mr. Saleh, I, I I wanted to to talk to you about about that idea and how you approach presenting Palestinian history as well as current events, especially given the divisive politics um, surrounding Israel and Palestine. Well, the way I see it, uh, it is very simple. Uh, in the late nineteenth century, uh, a new movement called Zionism was created. Uh, to create a national home for Jewish people. And 
Palestine uh, was selected as the place uh, to situate that national home. Uh, and the Zionist movement uh, aided and abetted uh, by uh, the world powers such as uh, Great Britain and the United States uh, had worked diligently to finance and support the, the Zionist project. Uh, and uh, basically what the Zionist project was is to uh, implant uh, a population brought from different parts of the world uh, and to pull uh, Palestine from under the feet of the Palestinians who were living in that area at the time. So basically, Zionism uh, aimed at stealing the land that the Palestinians had and kicking them out uh, of their uh, homeland and creating a country uh, and dispossessing them completely. And uh, because of the support they received from these powers that were dominating the world at the time, uh, for, and uh, Countries like Great Britain uh, had been entrusted to uh, to rule Palestine uh, and to enlighten the people there. Uh, proceeded uh, to uh, facilitate the creation of the Jewish state there, one way or another. And uh, as Britain dominated the other the other countries that existed and, and established puppet governments in, in places like Iraq and Egypt. And, uh, it, they were able to control uh, the course of events to a large extent. Uh, and in 1948, uh, the Palestinians uh, uh, were basically dispossessed officially and the state of Israel was created resulting in a catastrophic human human situation of uh, over 700,000 Palestinians being uh, refugees in various countries around in from uh, the West Bank to e in Egypt in uh, Jordan uh, Syria and Lebanon and the Palestinians were lost basically your family is is part of that history and and yes. I'm curious how even in this uh, in this day, how have the events of the past month in particular impacted your work, uh, both with the museum and, res you know, what responses have there been from the the public or, or you know, even even challenges uh, that you faced from individuals and groups and how have you addressed them? Well, I. I mean, what what happened in the last few weeks uh, is is nothing but an extension of what's been happening a long time uh, from many many years ago. The only thing different uh, each year, uh, the weapons that Israel uses becomes more lethal, uh, and uh, and Israel's uh, approach to furthering its own interests becomes uh, a lot more, um, I should use the word, uh, inhuman uh, as we go along. Uh, when Israel used to attack in the 70s and early 80s, their attacks were really 
ruthless, uh, but now they're beyond ruthless. They're, they're, they are uh, really curated in such a way to, to deliver uh, direct damage to people, to families, to infrastructures, to the humanity of the Palestinians, mm -hmm. and to destroy them physically and mentally uh, every day, and to humiliate them every single day of the year in areas where Israel controls. Israel controls Gaza, Israel controls the West Bank, uh, and of course controls uh, the Palestinians who live uh, as Israeli citizens and whom Israel calls Israeli Arabs. Uh, and Israel uses that term because they refuse to uh, admit that there are Palestinians uh, in Israel who are, is, who are citizens of that country. Uh, there is a large number of uh, Palestine deniers. The Palestine deniers are those people who deny that Palestine ever existed. Uh, uh, and there's a, a large number of those people in, in Israel that they still uh, under the illusion that there are no, there are no Palestinians. Uh, however, that, that illusion uh, came crashing down a couple of weeks ago when the Palestinians, the Israeli citizen Palestinians, uh, had their own intifada and they took to the streets and, and, and challenged the, the Israeli uh, illusion that they've been living on, that, they, that these people are not Palestinian. Uh, and they showed that they're just as, as Palestinian as any other, other Palestinians. Anyway, uh, from, from the work we do, uh, I mean, we, we obviously had to recognize what was going on. We've um, held interviews with artists in, in, in Gaza uh, in the middle of all that uh, violence. Uh, we've also talked to people in demonstrations uh, around the U.S., and in other countries, and we tried to bring the human, uh, the human element into what's what's going on. So, Rabbi Lerner, you you spoke a little bit about being raised in a Zionist household uh, with parents that were supporters of the Zionist movement, and your own um, uh, change in perspective on on that uh, issue. And I'm curious how, if you reflect on your own experience, what it was that, that changed your worldview on that topic, um, how then you approach the topic of Israel and Palestine within the Jewish community? Well, I mean, I just heard a long history that I, uh, some of which I disagree with, and I, I guess I can't, you don't want me to address that. So if it's just personal, um, uh, I studied. As I became, uh, I studied Judaism um, in my teenage years, and then in uh, while taking, uh, um, while getting a BA at uh, Columbia, I was also studying at the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York, and um, it became obvious to me that uh, Jewish values, what Judaism was about, was in stark contrast to what was happening. To Palestinians in, um, in Israel. Uh, the values I'm talking about have to do with the commands in Torah, in the Torah, that the most frequently repeated um, mitzvah or command, commandment of a Torah is um, versions of the following. When you come into your land, do not oppress the stranger. Remember that you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Um, 
it's that that theme which is is the most repeated theme of all the all the the uh teachings in torah that uh led me to believe that israel is not a jewish state it is a state with a lot of jews in it but it's not a jewish state in the sense that it doesn't reflect jewish values um the values that um that jews have developed ever since we were kicked out of our land of uh, in in um that we were living in 2000 years ago that's the part that um is missing from the um palestinian discourse but um there were the jews originally lived there it was our country now if you want my view more generally um i don't believe anybody has any right to any country whatsoever i think that the whole nationalist trip jewish palestinian american chinese uh russian all of the, these these are huge errors that that um distortions in human consciousness that lead us to think that we are um each of us is different and that ours is the best when right now the earth badly needs a transformation of all of uh, of the, the systems that have been polluting and destroying the environmental reality of our planet so this value comes from my jewish teaching but is insofar as you're in that discourse then i want to point out that jews lived for uh after we were thrown out of our country by roman imperialism we lived certainly starting from uh 300 when christianity emerged about three i mean christianity emerged as the dominant religion of uh of the roman empire and uh, um and then moving on from there in the next uh, 1700 years um we were the the most demeaned and um and uh beat up on uh minority we were we were the equivalent for most of of the western world of what african americans are today in the united states only worse because we were being um uh killed at a, a much higher level a much more frequent level so i mean the tragedy that that in wanting to go back to our homeland we ended up in a situation in which we pushed out a lot of palestinians and oppressed the ones who stayed there so it's a it's a terrible mess and a, a violation of our highest values that's why i say israel's not a jewish state it's a state with a lot of jews in it but they don't they don't actually act in according to our own teachings any more than christians have acted primarily in terms of their own teachings or muslims have acted in terms of their own teachings If you're just joining us, you're listening to Interfaith Ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. I'm your host Jack Gordon, and this morning we're talking with Rabbi Michael Lerner, editor of Tikkun Magazine, and Mr. Faisal Saleh, director and founder of the Palestine Museum in Woodbridge, Connecticut. Thank you to both of you for for expressing so fully uh, each of your perspectives on on the history. I think that the breath of the um the history that you've you've talked about 
points to how difficult it is to have these conversations. And one of the things that we talked about on our, our last episode of our show was how do you even have a discussion um, and and come to any any sort of a space of dialogue when even um, fundamental facts uh, are uh, disagreed about, uh, about that where people are pointing to different um, reads of of history, um, and so I I am curious, you know, as we're looking to ways in which we actually make some sort of um, progress on on these particular issues. Um, you know, what what successful models you've seen for constructive uh, interfaith or intercultural dialogue and advocacy? Um, so, Mr. Saleh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious for you. You went, interestingly, to a Quaker school. Uh, so it sounds like some of that that interfaith engagement was was sort of baked into your education. Um, I'm curious how that uh, uh, what models you observed or have participated in? Well, I, I, I do believe that, uh, that religions themselves uh, don't really have that much conflict uh, and, and can, can coexist. Uh, different religious ideologies can coexist, uh, provided that, uh, that the religion doesn't become a political movement mm-hmm. uh, or that the, the political movement does not hijack the religion and i'm talking about any religion here not you know anyone in particular sure uh, you you run into problems when when uh, the religion is hijacked by people who have uh, you know nationalistic ideas and 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 you know and their aims besides just worshiping god and living in peace with with their fellow man uh, and uh, in terms of what we see currently in, in Palestine and Israel, uh, you know, Zionism, um, the way it exists now, uh, is really facing a big challenge. Uh, you know, Israel is controlling 5 million Palestinians. Uh, the only way, uh, if Israel is to continue embracing the Zionist ideology, uh, it will have to resort to apartheid and and uh, denying of human rights to the five million Palestinians that they control, uh, and so that's that's one choice that Israel has right now uh, to continue uh, with 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 that ideology and and to try to protect uh, the ideology by doing all the things it has to do uh, to survive that way. Uh, the other option would be to create uh, a democratic state uh, and to uh, allow people who are in the geographic area uh, to have democracy, give them equal rights and freedom, and uh, and restore and allow Palestinians to return uh, to uh, their, their, their properties that was taken from them. Uh, and there, there, there is. There have been studies that show that there is enough real estate, enough, enough land, and enough facilities that could house the Palestinians and the Israelis in in the uh, in the geographic Palestine area. So it sounds like um, you're you're uh, advocating for uh, a solution that's ultimately political in in nature. Um, 
I wonder if there are ways of of community engagement beyond um, uh, uh, a a a completely up and upending of of re- requiring the political system to completely upend itself, which perhaps it does not uh, have the motivation to do and it's well, it doesn't state. have the motivation now but you know uh if, if you really see what's going on now and uh what, what israel has to deal with uh and and what they're doing uh i can't see any people who can uh long term sustain that kind of a uh act act that they're that they're putting on and 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 uh inflicting inflicting all that pain and and damage on on other people and denying justice and denying human rights to i mean the world is not going to put up with that forever uh, yeah. and you can't you can't this is not sustainable yeah israel can continue to do that uh but at some point even the israelis themselves are going to get tired of that and yeah uh, and and then there's, I mean, the, 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 there are Jewish people out there who believe in Judaism, and and the the Jewish values that, who are troubled by what's going on now, and there will be will be more of those people out there too. Rabbi Lerner, sort of to that to that point, building off of that idea, I I want to ask you the same question: if you have um, any successful models for constructive uh, dialogue or advocacy and and what you think of this rising generation, um, particularly within the Jewish community and how they view um, Palestine and Israel? As far as I can tell from uh, the uh, recent news accounts and, uh, and uh, from the uh, most recent report by the Pew Foundation on um, on uh, uh, opinions in the Jewish world, the younger Jews are much more skeptical about um, the uh, behavior of of uh, the state of Israel and much less inclined to identify with it. So I think that that's a, a positive sign. On the other hand, the um, uh, when you have a population being um, uh, bombed from uh, from uh, uh, Gaza, and your leaders are telling you that that may, they may get through. And in, uh, in a small number of cases, those those uh, missiles did get through. Um, well, when that happens, and you have uh, half the population having to rush to bomb shelters, uh, sometimes for several hours every day for those um, for the ten days of of that war that recreates the fundamental problem of, in my view, of both sides. That is, we have two uh, two populations, two peoples, both of whom have been subject to incredible um, dislocation and oppression, and both of which are now suffering from a a sense of uh, deep insecurity. They are they are peoples that have been um, have been traumatized, and they have not overcome their trauma. So when you re-stimulate that, as the Gazans just did by um, by sending hundreds and hundreds of rockets, now of course 
the Israeli leadership, if they get, you know, cared about their people, would have said, "Don't worry, there's not going to. There are very few of those that are going to get through, and we don't have to deal with it. You know, we have to deal with the underlying problem of the of our Palestinian, uh, our Palestinians, and trying to give them some way of feeling that they can be um, uh, uh, loyal to the state of Israel, or uh, as uh, as was just suggested." that Israel itself has to change. It has to become a democratic society in which uh, belonging to all of its peoples. I'm in favor of that very much. I want to see either a two-state solution um, or um, one person, one vote for all the people living in that region. Um, yeah, I, I want to see that. But in the, in the short run, um, as long as you have, I mean, this, the, uh, in my view, um, the uh, uh, the Hamas is the greatest ad, uh, uh, greatest ally that Netanyahu and the right wing has, because um, they step in and reinforce the trauma in people's lives. This is Interfaithish, our bi-weekly show on WOWD 94.3 FM, where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and today we're talking with Mr. Faisal Saleh, director and founder of the Palestine Museum in Woodbridge, Connecticut, and Rabbi Michael Lerner, editor of Tikkun Magazine. In the first part of our program, I asked my guests to share their stories and perspectives. But now, as we do every episode, we set aside time for my dear guests to ask each other some questions of their own. On our show, we seek to model constructive and respectful dialogue in the spirit of learning, while at the same time not being afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, my goal with this conversation about Palestine and Israel was not to let it become a debate. It felt like it strayed very close at times, but I'm grateful to my guests for also being willing to talk directly to each other and hopefully gain a better understanding of one another's perspectives. Well, before a question, I just want to say, Mr. Saleh, I'm very glad that you've created that um, mu museum of, uh, for Palestinians and uh, think that it's a very important, valuable thing that you're doing. Congratulations for doing that. Thank you. Thank um, you. I want to know if there's any way that you could integrate into your analysis the history of the Jews before the, the end of the 19th century what was happening, um, the, the reality of Jews living as second-class citizens in Arab lands, the reality of them being oppressed in Christian lands, for, and the reality of there being a Jewish state for which um, Jewish prayers, as well as Jewish Psalms from 2000 years ago, were already praying for a return of our people to the land of Israel. If you, Is there any way that you could integrate that into your consciousness in, or to your story of what ha what happened to understand that that yearning for a return to a homeland is exactly the same yearning that Palestinian people now have that Jews have had for the 2,000 years. Uh, I mean, first of all, uh, let me mention that, uh, that uh, the, most of the persecution of Jews and the horrors uh, that the Jews had to endure uh, were done by Europeans. Uh, they, they were not done by 
Muslims or Arab countries. Uh, in fact, uh, if you visited Spain and, and some parts of Spain, uh, you would notice the, that uh, the parts of Spain, that there were some very vibrant Jewish communities that thrived under Muslim uh, rule in Spain and, uh, and had uh, what some people described as the golden era uh, in Spain. Uh, yeah, with a lot way. of Renaissance. And in the Arab countries, uh, as far as I can tell, and I'm not really a historian or researcher, uh, the, the only trouble, the trouble began after uh, the Zionist movement uh, came into existence and its plans for um, uh, taking over Palestine became clear and, and, and that caused uh, they are a lot of the Arab countries to distrust their their Jewish populations and and question their royal loyalty to Israel, to the to the new movement. I think that prior to that, I mean, they were the Jews and Palestinians. Uh, they were they were the Jews were Palestinians in Palestine. They were part of the population just like anyone else, and they were living in Jerusalem and in, and and uh, other parts of the West Bank. Uh, alongside, there was a lot of uh, commerce and trade among Jews and, and non-Jews in Palestine. There, there was nothing uh, until the late 19th, the beginning of, of the Zionist movement came in there. So in, in the absence of Zionism, there was really no no friction. Uh, and all, all, all the bad stuff was, was really in Europe. And uh, and, and not, you know, not related to, to the Arab countries or the Palestinians. Uh, the, uh, I mean, we, we, we understand, uh, you know, how the Jewish people can be traumatized and we understand their psyche uh, of, of, fee, of feeling that everybody in the world is, is after them and, and uh, they have no place to go and they needed a place to go. I mean, we, we understand that, but... Uh, they could have come to Palestine and uh, and they could have lived in Palestine in large numbers uh, if they did not plan on interfering with with the with with the with the whole system there and taking it over and depriving the Palestinians of their the right for self-determination and the right to have their own country. Mr. Saleh, could, yeah. could I ask just because I know that I, I want to be respectful of everybody's time and I, I, yeah. uh, I don't want to go much, much over. Do you have a, uh, a question for, for Rabbi Lerner uh, yes. about his experience? Yes. Well, I, I just would like to get Rabbi Lerner's opinion on how do we, as Palestinians, how do we, how should we engage the, the Jewish community in the U.S. Here, uh, we we have we have faith in 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 the Jewish communities having, you know, religious principles and beliefs, and we would like to appeal to that. Uh, to to we want them to understand what the Palestinians are going through, and we we want to. How do we engage the community? Um. Well, first of all, let me say that I'm uh, not the per person to ask for that because I, my support for the Palestinian cause has uh, led me to be uh, not the most popular person in sections of the Jewish community. But the Jewish community isn't one thing here, neither religiously nor uh, among secular Jews, where the major vast majority of Jews in this country are secular Jews. Um, the um, 
the issue that I'm talking about about trauma is critical because um, even those Jews who are very progressive on other issues are often not so progressive on Israel-Palestine because they've inherited the trauma. And I think that the way to start is by acknowledging that. I strongly recommend that you read some of the um, Jewish historians reporting on the lives of Jews living in under Islam, let's say from, uh, from uh, uh, basically from about 1200 to uh, 1700. And you'll get a different picture of what that life was like than what you're saying. And what I'm saying to you is, if you want to approach the Jewish world, um, then the place to start is by acknowledging that both sides have been treating each other in hurtful ways, that both sides have made terrible mistakes, that both sides have been insensitive to the other, and that instead of coming at it from the standpoint of one side is all bad and the other side is all good, coming at it from a standpoint of humility and recognition that both, both peoples have legitimate desires to have a homeland and both peoples have been incredibly traumatized in part by the behavior of the other. And from that place of mutual, uh, of acknowledging mutual responsibility, I think you'd have a, a, a very powerful impact in changing the impact of the next generation that's coming up now um, and offsetting the, what the terrible impact that the bombing, the attempt to bomb Israel by, um, by Hamas has just had. And um, as I said, from my standpoint, Hamas and Netanyahu and the right are objective allies for each other. They each reinforce the fear that the other side has. And it's within that fear that Israel, Israelis support disgusting policies towards Palestinians. But it's also within that fear that, that Palestinians don't really understand uh, and, and are unable to acknowledge what lead, led to their current situation. I want that situation to, uh, to change. And that's why I, I'm saying eventually um, we need to not only bring these two sides together, in a democratically elected state, but simultaneously to overcome nationalism in all its forms. And I think that if, so that's, that's my answer. Um, I just need, I would like to just point one thing out, uh, if, you, if you don't mind. Uh, th there is no symmetry here, uh, that the Israelis and Palestinians are not in symmetry here. Uh, the Palestinians are living a miserable, uh, painful life every hour of the day. The Israelis are having a great time. They all live in nice apartments. They have swimming pools. They've got uh, schools and their modern life. They have a lot of money and jobs and just that. Palestinians are dying. They, they, they're, they're living, some of them living in refugee camps for, for 73 years. And uh, you can't even begin to make a comparison of the two. I think that 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 fact should be taken in consideration when we look at a lot of these options. I mean, uh, how can we how can we go talk to the Palestinians about things when they don't even have food to eat uh, in, in some cases, when they when they have not seen uh, a good day in their life? Uh, 
and and also uh, with respect to uh, Hamas throwing rockets at Gaza uh, and how that in relation to the U.S. I mean, look at the buildings that Israel took out in Gaza in relation to the size of Gaza versus the U.S. It's like doing 10 911s every day for two weeks uh, uh, in the U.S. I mean, the, 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 uh, there's no no symmetry here. They're not symmetrical. What 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 we're seeing. So that so that actually I, it brings me to to. Um... The question that I wanted to ask the both of you uh, as we wrap up uh, the conversation, you know, we've we have uh, just witnessed a a very active campaign of violence that resulted in hundreds of of dead Palestinians, um, as well as uh, you know a, a much smaller number, but um, of of Israelis. We we have a period of a ceasefire right now. Uh, it sounds like, you know, they this is a it, it as as Mr. Saleh said at the beginning, that you know what is this is a ceasefire that's happening, but amidst you know an ongoing um, uh, effort, uh, really that happens on a daily basis to um, to reduce the the self determination that that Palestinians have. Um, to live their lives, I'm I'm curious what in this particular moment would you have as advice for people who do not live in either Palestine or Israel, but are moved to engage in some sort of dialogue or action, you know, particularly particularly given how fraught this this immediate moment is, where reconciliation seems almost impossible. Uh, Rabbi Lerner, what what advice would you have for someone who who is trying to figure out what to do from here? Embracing Israel Palestine, and you will see an account that makes that talks about how the two sides could work together and live together. And um, but but of course, and I agree with what was said before that uh, um, there's no equivalence at this moment. Israel has a hugely more powerful reality. But that's also true when we, through those of us who are progressives, wanting to overcome the ethos of global capitalism, we're dealing with a society that has huge more power than those of us who want to create a world based on love, kindness, and generosity rather than selfishness, materialism, and looking out for number one. So um, my my uh, advice is for for all of us to go with a different consciousness, to ask what kind of world is the world that you really want? And then to try to build people around that ag- that agenda. And I think that agenda transcends Israel-Palestine. It transcends uh, America or the, U- the U.S. versus uh, China we, or, or Russia. We need to overcome all that and build a world based on love, kindness, and generosity. And I ra- lay out the path to that in a book that I uh, published in 2019 by the University of California Press called Revolutionary Love. It is a path of love that is the only way to overcome the paths of hatred. In answer to your question, I think think people need to uh, learn more about what is going on. They need to find out what the truth is uh, about what's happening in in Palestine and Israel there. And I, I think there's been 
lack uh, of truthful information. There's been a lot of uh, propaganda, particularly in the U.S. Uh, the uh, there's a lot of censorship of of information that comes to, that that gets shared in the U.S. here, uh, and uh, the, the mainstream media is is not forthcoming at uh, at explaining things. And uh, I'll give you just one example. Uh, when this thing with Gaza and, uh, started, uh, uh, all, all you hear is that Israel has the right to defend itself. Well, it's fine, yeah. But what about, don't the Palestinians have the right to defend themselves too? Especially that they hardly have any 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 powerful weapons like Israel does. So uh, I mean, that's the kind of thing we're, we're dealing with. Is that uh, the information is not available to people to see what what is going on, and the, in the U.S., the media is is uh, is controlled in such a way that they're not showing what's happening in, in in Palestine until until it becomes a huge crisis when they're forced to actually provide coverage about it. Mr. Sali, I'm 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 curious in in maybe a more concrete way, given the dire situation that you articulated um, for the the day-to-day life of Palestinians, what would you encourage someone to do um, less in the abstract of 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 education, but but more in in a in a in a next immediate step that they could do to um, you know, take it, move, move towards a real difference in, in the, in the scenario. Go to Palestine and, and Israel and visit yourself. Go see how the lives of Palestinians are and go see how the Israelis are living. Visit Israel and visit Palestine and, and, and see, uh, I assure you that you come out a different person if you go there. All right. Well, thank you so much to both of you. I really appreciate um, taking the time. I know these are, these are not easy conversations to have. Um, I appreciate the both of you um, being um, being open and generous with your opinions and and your perspectives and and for taking the time to uh, accept my invitation to, to have this dialogue today. Thank you to both of you. Thank you. Hey, thank you for having us. Pleased to meet you, uh, uh, Rabbi. And, and uh, to, to you, Sally. Dear listeners, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I want to again thank my guest, Mr. Faisal Saleh, founder and director of the Palestine Museum, and Rabbi Michael Lerner, editor of Tikkun Magazine. To read Rabbi Lerner's writings, you can visit tikkun.org. That's T-I-K-K-U-N dot O-R-G. And for more information on the Palestine Museum, visit palestinemuseum.us. They are also open by appointment if you want to visit in person in Woodbridge, Connecticut. I'm looking forward to the next opportunity to get up there myself. As always, I want to give a shout out to my fellow interfaith astronauts, Miranda Hofmeyer and Sue Katz Miller, and our musical master, Jeff Philosopher. And thank you, dear listeners, for spending your hour with us. You can find our entire back catalog of interfaith-ish episodes anywhere you find and enjoy podcasts. We're on social media at interfaith-ish. And you can keep writing us about the interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H 
at gmail.com. Interfaith-ish, we'll be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs, seven days a week, streaming online at tacomaradio.org.